leaders make people enthusiastic about going with them on a journey. There is no such thing as a leader with no followers. That's just somebody wandering along alone by themselves. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Hey folks, it's Michael O'Sullivan, the host of Oil and Gas Tech, and I just want to chime in here real quick and let you know that this particular episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders is made possible by Sherpa Coaching. Now, if you are an industry leader, like all of the people that come on this show, then you probably already know about Sherpa. But just in case not, let me tell you about them. With a national network of certified coaches, Sherpa helps people refine their leadership skills and get the most from their talent. They were founded in 2004, and since then, Sherpa has trained over 10,000 leaders and certified more than 600 coaches. Their offerings include things like one-on-one executive coaching, team workshops, and executive coaching certification. Sherpa coaches focus on habits and behaviors with the greatest impact on individual performance, team effectiveness, and unification. Positive skills plus positive behaviors equals a positive impact on business. And you can learn more at pages.sherpacoaching.com slash OGGN. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast. Before I introduce this week's guest, guys, leave me a review. I really need a review so I can read it on air. I love doing that type of stuff and I love hearing criticism. So if I can make this show better, I would love to hear your input. Plus, I'll read it on the air and get a big shout out. And it helps other people find the show, most importantly. All right. So I'm sitting here this afternoon with Ed Murrow, founder and chief executive officer of Independent Project Analysis, Inc. Ed, how are you? I'm good, Paige. How are you this afternoon? (laughs) Although people may be listening to it in the morning, right? Oh, they could be listening to it at any time. A lot of people like to listen to podcasts on their commute. So Sure. Yeah. So, Ed, let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Well, I started my career as a professor at UCLA and went from there to an outfit called the Rand Corporation, which is a think tank out in Santa Monica, California. At Rand, I worked energy issues, and I was eventually the director of the energy research program at Rand. And was fascinated always with large and complex projects in the industry and decided in 1987 to start IPA to really be devoted solely to capital projects, primarily in the energy industry. We do chemicals and pharmaceuticals and minerals as well, but our home really is petroleum. Okay, gotcha. Well, how long ago did you start IPA? It's 35 years ago now. In fact, 35 years ago this month, I looked at my first project as IPA, and that was a proposed mega project in Parachute, Colorado, 
to fix a mega project that failed. That okay. was for an outfit called Union Oil. Oh. Okay. You know, Unical was a, a good company, and right. they were smart enough not to do the project. Is that what made you decide to start your own company? No, I really felt that the industry needed a resource that would make project disasters less common, that would basically make us better over time at deploying capital in a way that would get us good shareholder returns. I saw all kinds of problems in especially looking at large projects back at RAND, and that's what really convinced me to start IPA. Okay, well, let's go further into what IPA does. All right. Independent project analysis is a pretty good description of who we are and what we do. IPA evaluates projects, and we evaluate projects especially on the front end because that's where owners have the most leverage to make the projects better. And then we always look at those projects when they're done and after the first year or so of operation to see how they actually came out. And that's meant that over the course of our 35 years, we've collected data on about 25,000 capital projects. About a little over $5 trillion in capital is represented in our databases. So mm -hmm. it provides us not only with good understanding of how we actually do projects, but also how we can make them better. And mm -hmm. it provides kind of a treasure trove for the industry to place its project in context, which is what we try to do. Okay. Let's go through some challenges and issues you've faced founding this company. You know, it in some respects, it's been easier than I had any right to hope it would be. And it's been a great deal more fun than anything I've ever done besides it. When I started, it was just me and then gradually uh, a few colleagues and then gradually a lot of colleagues. And at one point, there were 10 of us working in the basement of my house. And that's when my wife decided that it was time for us to leave and get an office. <laughs> She's like, I'm done with y'all. Y'all need to go. <laughs> exactly. When I threatened to move into a bedroom upstairs that we weren't using, that's when she thought, no, no, it'd be better if you got an office. But over the years, it's been enormous fun working with companies in the industry. My colleagues and I just love the opportunity to see a typical IPA analyst will see more projects in a year than a project manager gets to see in a lifetime. Mm. It's wonderful perspective. And I've always felt that the most rewarding part of it is when you make changes for the better, when you actually can see problems on the horizon for a project and get those fixed before the project gets underway. So that's been very rewarding. There really haven't been many challenges except the constant challenge of responding as the industry changes. 
I would say the last three or four years have been probably the most challenging of my career as the energy transition has started to take hold. And what we have had to be and what the industry has to be is both very, very good at petroleum development projects while we're also learning to be very good at other things such as renewables projects. And that's really difficult to do. It's very difficult for everybody to stay focused and to maintain excellence while trying to change. That's yeah, been a real I challenge. Yeah. And of course, the pandemic probably accelerated everything. Yeah, I think you're right. It's really been a lot of fun, but it is challenging as well. There's no question. Yeah. So what is leadership to you, Ed? To me, really, it's about followership, not leadership. Leaders make people enthusiastic about going with them on a journey. There is no such thing as a leader with no followers. That's just somebody wandering along alone by themselves. The fun part of leadership and the thing about leadership that I think makes a difference is when you articulate a place that you think we should go, that other people say, I think that's a good idea. I'll go with you. Basically, being a leader is about articulating a destination. And as long as you don't get too hung up in the day-to-day, it's fun. So to me, good project leaders are people who make everyone want to cooperate, even if that hasn't been their tradition in the past. And so, I mean, one of the problems that we face in the industry is big, complex projects, which really characterize our industry in many respects. Those projects need leaders, not just managers. Yes, they need good project management, but they also need good project leadership. And that's a different skill set. That's a skill set to induce people to cooperate. You know, it's funny. I I once had a a CEO of one of the super majors ask me why projects were so difficult for them. And I said, because you can't cooperate with yourself. Hmm. And he, he sat there and nodded his head and said, yeah, I think that's right. So it really is about cooperation. And that's what leaders do. They get cooperation. They make cooperation happen. Very good. So what do you think the hardest part about being a leader is? Figuring out where you want to go. In other words, being sure that where you want to go is the right place to go. I've always felt that it's much easier to be a leader if you have a very clear set of principles that you work from. Mm -hmm. And what I've tried to do and what I've tried for all of my management to do at IPA is always to make decisions from principle, not the other way around, which is to say, don't decide what is good to do based on the outcome, but try to decide what you're going to do based on the principle. So, I mean, for example, 
we have a principle of operation that no company can benefit from the data that have been provided by others over the years unless they're willing to contribute the same equivalent data in kind because it isn't fair. We'll have companies say, well, we'll give you a bigger fee if you'll evaluate our project, but we don't have to give you those pesky closeout data. And it's just not negotiable. Well, it's <laughs> when you have limits, when you have principles, decisions are easier. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Makes complete sense. So if you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would that be? It would be to always remember when you're faced with a difficult decision to make. And I would say almost all difficult decisions are framed this way. There's a really nice and pretty easy path I could take that would make me short-term successful. Does it undermine our long-term future? And if you don't ask that question, and if you don't immediately then change your mind about that easy path, if the answer is yes, it does jeopardize the future, then you need to rethink. The other thing I would say is never, ever stop learning. And always ask yourself, how do I learn? What's my model? You know, when I was working on a book on the leadership of complex projects, and one of the things that came up with the project managers of big, complex mega projects that we interviewed, thing that came up over and over again without our ever asking was each one of the key leaders had a model by which they learned. One guy had a model where he learned... He kept trying to envision the perfect project. And every time he did a project, all of his lessons learned from the past one went in to his perfect project model. And he said when he started a new project, he would try to enlist everybody else to come with him on producing the perfect project. He said, I never got there, but I do think I got a little closer each time. That's leadership to me. Very good. What book influenced you the most and why? What book has influenced me the most? Hmm. Oh, that's really hard. I'm an avid reader, and I not only read uh, lots and lots of engineering, project management, and so forth, I also read lots and lots of fiction. You know, what do I like? Well, all kinds of things. And I don't really know that there is a single book that has had outsized influence on me personally. It's been more teachers and mentors who I would say have had the bigger influence rather than any particular book. That's fair. Aren't you an author? Oh, I've written a number of things. Probably the best thing, best known thing that I've written is on industrial mega projects. But I also wrote another book on complex project leadership with my colleague Neeraj Nandertiker a couple of years ago, and I'm working on a book on contracting right now. So 
It's busy. And I'm going to do another edition of the Mega Projects book. I wrote that in 2011, and a lot's happened since 2011. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> some good, some not so good. Right. <laughs> so I want to bring it up to date. Good call. Good call. What's your most used business tool? What's my most used business tool? Well, I guess, quite frankly, it's Microsoft Teams. And I wouldn't have said that three years ago, but since the pandemic started, it has become probably the most ubiquitous business tool in the world outside Zoom, perhaps. Right. So I personally have Teams fatigue or Zoom fatigue, if you prefer. One of the things that I'm happy about is we're beginning to see each other face-to-face again not only in the office, but seeing clients and seeing people in the industry face-to-face again is really a lot nicer. Oh, I agree. I agree too. Yeah, I'm pretty over Teams, pretty over Zoom. That's another reason we're not doing video today. I only do audio when we record because it's, you know, kind of over it. So I definitely understand. Yeah, I think a lot of people are. I don't know if this is necessarily applicable, but who would you say is your most respected competitor? Hmm. You know, in many respects, one of the things that is peculiar about IPA is we don't really have a, a competitor. Our niche is to bring the history of the industry to bear on new projects. and. That's meant that we've been able to develop very, very detailed and high-quality databases that we can bring to each new project. So as we evaluate between six and as many as 900 new projects a year, just depending on the activity in the industry, and we don't really have any competitor that does the same thing. In that sense, I think we're kind of blessed with not having direct competitors. By the way, that wasn't the intent when it was set up. It's just simply the way things evolved. Right. But doesn't it get a little boring? Because I think there's a little bit of that healthy competitiveness that I think people enjoy when it comes to work. No, you see, that I don't agree with that. As the leader of a business, I always encourage all of my staff, not to think about competition, not to compete internally, really see how good you can be. Don't worry about others unless there are things you can learn from them. And if there are, learn. I mean, but otherwise, I think that competition in that sense ends up being a distraction. Yeah, I can see that. Well, speaking of learning, what is your most important lesson to learn? Hmm. Always remember that you don't know everything. (laughs) Always remember, never believe your own press. Yeah. Ain't as smart as you think you are. And that goes back to don't ever stop learning, right? Don't ever stop learning. Very good. Why do you think your role now is important to the future of our industry? These are fascinating times for the industry. Industry is changing rapidly. I think that if there's ever been a time when the industry needed management based on facts 
rather than hopes and wishes or PR releases, uh, now's the time. And really what we try to do is bring facts to the decision-making process for the industry. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about that project that you uh, maybe maybe I want to do it, maybe I don't, facts are really, really helpful in making those decisions. And if you're trying to answer the question, is my project really ready for prime time? Facts are really helpful in making that decision. So that's our job. And I think it's probably, there's never been a time when it's more important than right now. Yeah, absolutely agree. So do you have a favorite podcast? You know, I don't. Well, that's fair. (laughs) I listen to podcasts, but I don't really, I've never had a favorite that is, I listen to TED Talks too, as long as I don't get too long. But mostly I'm old fashioned and I read books. Everybody has a way of learning. That's right. That's right. Just like you were talking about. I definitely understand. And sometimes you feel like you're wasting time by not listening or reading something that you do learn from, right? You know, you can always just think. Yeah. (laughs) There's that too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me, Ed. If people want to reach out to you and get to know more about IPA, how can they go about doing so? Oh, you can go to our website, which is ipaglobal.com, or just email me, emarrow at ipaglobal.com. No yeah, problem. Cause yeah, because your LinkedIn's on lockdown. <laughs> oh, is it? I wonder why. I don't know. I had to enter your email address to connect, which is actually kind of cool because I think it's like that on <laughs> Whatever. <mine> <laughs> I, I'll need to talk to Sue Ellen about that. She'll okay. fix it. Good page. Thanks a lot. All right. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.